0: Hi everyone, this is James from LLP and today we are doing a podcast with Jake Reed who just published a wonderful paper with us in the LLP LLP journal. The details you will be able to see I think on the screen now. Yes, I just need to scroll it down. Okay, so the title of Jake's paper was This Class Doesn't Have a Textbook uh, and it was an overview of a TRPG course that he created uh, for L2 English Learners in Japan. Uh, the unique points of this uh, paper are that yeah he's using a TRPG, uh, there was no textbook, and the paper is a walkthrough paper. So if I scroll up, you can see, um, yeah this is a walkthrough paper. So he is introducing the background to his study, um, the design of the study, the good points, the bad points, and how he would implement it again if he had the chance. So in the in the terms of game design essentially. So without further ado um we will dive straight in. We're also joined today sorry by um above me you can see Fabio Spano and to my I guess that's my left well that way uh, we have uh, Paul uh, Johnson. And mm. these are two of the reviewers of the three reviewers. We didn't hear from the third reviewer for the podcast so we have two reviewers uh, myself as the editor and uh, Jake as the um the author. So The present, the structure of this podcast is going to be, we'll introduce the ludic, the language and the pedagogy elements of the paper. And then the reviewers will talk about um, the exciting or interesting or surprising elements that they found. And finally, Jake will wrap us up with his, his best bits, if you like. So yeah, let's begin, Jake, all right. Tell us yeah, about you, the ludic me. of your paper. Well, I guess you can give us a little bit of background as well. Like, where did the paper start? Uh, yeah, tell us about your background.
1: Sure, sure. yeah. So um, I guess I I am a gamer, of course, uh, and a TRPG gamer. So I've played Dungeons and Dragons and similar types of tabletop role-playing games since I was uh, a teenager. And so I wanted to kind of marry something that I really like, my hobby, with my teaching, and why would I want to do that? But uh, the the reason is because I wanted my students to uh, have access to kind of real materials or authentic materials, things that uh, quote-unquote native speakers use just to have fun uh, in, you know, in a way that they could control. So, you know, a TRPG by its nature uh, is very open, so even the person telling the story, the GM, doesn't really know what the players are going to do. So they might start the story out; they give the setting and the the conditions in which the players find themselves, uh, but they don't know what the players are going to decide. Are they going to go left or right? Are they going to talk with that character that I put out or not? And I thought that was a really interesting setting to explore what kinds of language learning might take place.
0: Yeah, so just to maybe poke into that a little bit then. So what you're describing then is that maybe the authentic language um, would kind of emerge from this kind of unknown scenario. Like you don't know what's going to happen. So in that way, it's not scripted equals authentic. Is that the the thought process here?
1: yeah i i think part of it yes and cool. it's also authentic in the sense that it's 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 actually you know Dungeons and Dragons oh, and City see. of Mist those are both you know authentic uh materials in the in the language sense language teacher sense that that are used by players
0: should mention their first
1: language
0: should mention that both of the reviewers are also uh TRPG players right Paul, would you like to tell us a little bit about your own experience with TRPGs?
1: Himself?
2: Um yeah, so actually a little interesting. Uh, when I first thought about uh, using this in the language classroom, one of the first papers I came across was one uh, that Jake had written before.
0: Interesting. So that
2: was really cool. He talked about the potential affordances. And so it was really cool to see you know, what was potential became actual
0: ah, nice. that he
2: submitted to LPP, which I thought was really great.
0: Hmm. How about your, your your gaming proclivities, Paul? What kind of uh, flavor of TRPG do you play yourself?
2: I've played some D&D um, a few times, and um, I've uh, GM'd a campaign as well.
0: OK. Uh, that's about it for me. And then I've used it in the classroom. Excellent. Fabio, how about yourself, sir?
3: Well, playing table tabletop, RP, tabletop RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons is the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I loved every second and I will never stop doing it. There is an episode of Futurama when they finish in The Void and they say, OK, he wants to play d forever, and I was cheering like me, mm-hmm. I want mm-hmm. to play d forever. So yes, it was a forming experience It's actually, uh, I strongly believe and it's on my LinkedIn page that my experience with DAD is what actually boosted my social skills so much, I think it's directly related to it. And, um, I never been brave enough to try it in a classroom. Right. And uh, yes, that's why I was so interested and surprised by the paper I've been reading, especially the one I reviewed, Jake's paper, because Mm. it takes a lot of courage to try to propose that to a classroom, especially when you're teaching English, right? Because it's so dense, it could be so complicated. There is so many things involved and so many things that that the students have to remember. So yeah, I love it, but uh, yeah, I wish I would be that brave soon because for us player, that's that will be the best, right? If we manage to teach English, like high level quali- high quality mm. uh, instruction by playing Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or whatever. Well, you that's have a dream. you that's... have
0: a little bit of a manual now. Now we've got Jake's paper to show how it can actually be done. Oh right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and
2: in, yeah, in sure. terms of like maybe it not working once for your class, you know, I just finished rereading Thornberry's pretty language teaching methods, and you no, know, just. Encourage people to just give stuff a try. You know, mm. give a, a different method a try or give a tabletop role-playing a try in your classroom. If it doesn't work the first time, it's just too high of a bar. Mm. Uh, often things don't work the first time. Uh, even really good teaching methods, um, like task-based or some sort of communicative method, we use it and we try. It doesn't always work the first time, but that doesn't mean it's not good. Yeah, iterate. Right? So go for it.
0: You'll notice uh, the bottom on it. I should add that. Yeah, go for it
1: yeah uh i should add that that this particular class that i taught on the one hand students that enrolled in it uh to a certain degree knew that they were getting into a games class or, or a class that would use role-playing games on the other hand not all of them that joined the class were necessarily gamers there were many that joined because of you know extraneous factors like their schedule hmm. well it fits the schedule and i need credits that are you know right this sort of thing but um i i think the gamers that were in the class they kind of became little uh, uh little leaders if you will uh those students ended up becoming the gms for their groups or at least for one of the games and they were able to hopefully impart mm. some of their passion for the game onto the ones that that uh, weren't really gamers and for some of the ones that, that weren't really into it, they, you know, in the in the recordings, I could listen to some of their homework assignments and students that I'd had in other, you know, more general English classes that almost never said anything were at least talking a little bit in the, in the games that they were playing, maybe because it's a ludic setting and maybe because they're with their friends and that sort of thing.
0: Awesome. Uh, we've kind of gone into a lot of the a lot of topics straight off the bat i'm going to wrap it right the way back to the start um even though that's a fascinating topic um which leads into like you know uh social cultural theory and scaffolding and all that kind of thing but oh we've got jonathan here as well now so right we have another one about let's jump into the uh the three topics so first of all then i mean i know we talked about trpgs a lot now but um tell us about the three trpg uh TRPGs that you chose for your students to play and yeah, just tell us a bit about them.
1: Okay, so uh, I designed the course over uh, three segments or blocks as I call them in the paper and I thought about it from a kind of difficulty perspective. So easy you know, normal mode and hard mode and the first one uh, was called Molecular Scenarios which was a homebrew thing made by a friend of mine in the states and that is basically one a4 page uh, adventure so there it just it's one a4 page for the the GM it tells them you know this is the setting uh, th- these are the rules and the players have a page too that helps them make a character it just uses d6 similar to you know Paul's game that he's making now and uh, so it's super easy you can do it in 10 15 minutes takes a little longer than that for the non-gamers to kind of figure out what's going on. And I had a class set aside to, to teach that. But it, it, we were done with that in three lessons. Uh, the second game that we moved into was called City of Mist, and that was a Kickstarter a while back. Uh, and it is, well, it, it was touted as a kind of entry-level TRPG for people that weren't really familiar with the genre. Uh, in the past, games like D and D or Pathfinder have gone through periods of extremely kind of complex rule systems and very much targeted to their core audience of of tabletop gamers. Now, with things like Stranger Things and D and D Fifth Edition being simplified much more than it was before, uh, I think they're they're moving into a kind of a phase where they're attracting uh, new gamers again. Uh, but despite that, 5th edition being a quote-unquote simpler version of D&D, that is still, in my view, pretty hard uh, maybe for second language speakers, uh, especially if they don't if they don't know what's going on starting out. So that was the third
0: game that we went into. As a complete noob then, um... okay... So sorry, you, you did City of Mist and then D and D is the final game. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what was I going to ask? So yeah, what makes City of Mists? Wh- why did you choose City of Mists? Well, it's it's more focused on
1: the narrative and telling the story uh, than it is about check the rules to find out what this spell does and see exactly how many spaces it affects. And oh, okay. these are the dice you need to roll. Uh, this game only uses D6s. What is, what is a
0: D6 for those that don't know? A D6
1: is a six-sided die. So the die that you'd, that you'd find in Monopoly. Uh, so, you know, they if, if a player wants to try something, say they want to open up a door that's locked, they don't have the key. They want to try to force it open, and they have a crowbar or something. So they might say... Okay, I want to roll this dice, but my character has a power tag on it that says really strong or macho man or something like that. And then they'll ask the GM, can I use this macho man tag to increase my roll? And the GM will say yes or no, depending on the circumstances. If they say yes, the player can add a plus one to their roll. So they roll the two d6s, and if they get six or less, it's a fail. Mm. If they get seven to nine, it's yes, you succeed, but... GM make up some kind of inhibiting factor that happens, and if it's ten or more, they just succeed in the way that the player uh, envisioned it. Okay. So it's really, really story based, and that's seriously it. Mm-hmm. It's just those two dice. You. you want to do something? Okay, roll that and see what happens. You match it with your character's power tags and.
0: May I yeah. ask then, finally, how does that compare to D and D then? What's D and D like in comparison?
1: Yeah. So D and D. I mean, Everyone's smiling when yeah. I ask this
0: question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they they have something what's called um, Session Zero. Uh, now, d and a tabletop game, is organized into sessions. And you would think, okay, Session One, let's let's play the game. Okay, yeah, Session Two, let's play the game again and continue. Yes, but d and a game like D&D, really requires what's called a Session Zero, where it, it has a lot of things going on in it. But one of the things that happens is that you make your character. So you get together at the table and you think, okay, what kind of character do I want to make? And making a character can be as simple as you know, rolling some dice and not really caring, mm-hmm. just that one is fine. Or it can be as complicated as, well, uh I'm going to be a human, but I want to choose the variant human subtype which gives Whoa. me this extra ability. And that ability will allow me to play this Sorcerer class better than if I... Yeah. And it just goes it goes down a rabbit hole gotcha. just for character creation.
0: Okay. So just to wrap up this, this um, section on the Ludic then, uh, on the screen now is actually the blocks. So the block one is the Molecular uh, Scenarios. Block two is the City of Mist. And block three says Dungeons and Dragons. So if you could add a kind of slider... Uh, to say level of complexity and focus on like language output w- what would you put on the three blocks like block 1 block 2 block 3 is is there like a high level of complexity but actually a high level of output as well or uh, what if if i'm a teacher and i'm thinking of using one of these yeah yeah
1: mm-hmm. yeah i'd say for for block 1 i mean it's it's over so fast mm-hmm. and the the missions are so quick and so concise Uh, that you wouldn't probably expect too much from that. But I think it is a good introduction to the the genre. Uh, For block two and three, I think you could get the same complexity of language from either of them. Interesting. Uh, Because it's just, you know, you're telling a story, you're you're going back and forth, you're interacting together, you're confirming uh, the description Mm -hmm. that the GM gave you. Or confirming what the players want to do those are largely the same mm-hmm. uh the difference is in the rules and in the amount of adjudication that is sometimes necessary Interesting. Uh, in city of mist it's very much like okay this is what happened you guys kind of make it up as you go and then the gm is the ultimate arbitrator but in dungeons and dragons you can play it that way but there's also a 350 whatever page rulebook that you could play it in a very analytical way, too, if you wanted.
0: Gotcha. Okay, that's six ways. As... Oh, Paul? Yeah, sure, man. Oh, yeah. So the,
2: the bit of uh, tabletop role-playing I've played, it's just been the fifth edition of d d which everyone tells me is a simplified version, and I cannot imagine <laughs> what an unsimplified version would be. If this is the easy mode, I don't want to be anywhere near the hard mode.
1: <laughs> well fabio mentioned pathfinder before so oh, man. I, I know he knows what the complicated ones are <laughs>
3: yes wow. like session and session for only one encounter only one battle just because the rules are so long so many so you can spend yeah, eight hours just hours fight,
0: is... fight with <laughs> one fight yeah Okay, so let's dive into the language then of this. We've looked at the ludic, the TRPG. We've looked at the, this idea of molecular scenarios, which <clears throat> um, Jake's friend uh, produced for him, which is a one pager that can be completed in a couple of sessions. Um, students are generally so. Yeah, talking about the language. Yeah. Okay. I'll let yeah. you. I'll let you do it, Jake. So the the molecular scenarios. What kind of language production are we focused on here? Uh, and then, of course, the same for City of Mist and D and D. What what's the production what what language goals did you have what did you expect from the from the games themselves etc cetera, etc cetera.
1: i did not have any specific like grammar or gotcha. vocabulary lists or language goals for the students in any of the three games that uh, i brought to the table um, but uh, what i was trying to do more was to just just because a, a TRPG is so diverse, it's it's a you know it's like bringing a a novel into the classroom, but a novel that you don't know what's going to happen on anything other than page one. So I don't know what's going to happen after that, and uh, the kinds of language they produce are going to be very diverse. But things like request formation, uh, confirmation checks. Uh, and I just, I figure there's going to be a lot of breakdown in communication. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, and that's where I was coming from pedagogically as well. Uh, and then during those episodes of breakdown, they're going to have to negotiate. They're going to have to use circumlocution. If, if they are just speaking English, if they're speaking some Japanese and they probably did, I know some of them did. And that's a kind of circumlocution, I suppose. Mm Um, it's just part of the interaction hypothesis which i based uh the theoretical framework of
0: the course on mm-hmm. would you say then just to compare the sorry Jonathan, just before that then the three um the three different uh trpgs that you played when i was listening to you describe them from a teacher's perspective i was thinking well the first one there's a little bit of reading the second one, there's quite a lot of reading. And then the third one, there's an intense amount of reading. So in terms of language skills, I'm not just looking at what are they saying during the gameplay, but what are they having to do? Are they doing some skimming, some scanning They're, you know, reading long sentences, paragraphs. And it seems that the, the more complex that it got, the more, not just cognitive load, but it's engaging more of their, um, language systems in a way. Would you say that, that, that was something that you considered as well? Absolutely.
1: Uh, When we uh, applied to teach these courses, um, part of what you had to do was explain how the four skills were going to be used in the course or what the students were going to be doing in, in all four of those skills. Uh, The students, before they enroll in those classes, they've had, uh, they've had writing courses. They've had reading courses where they learn these kind of skimming, scanning Mm -mm. and paragraphing and that sort of thing. So, they should be applying those skills in the course that I was teaching. Of course, a little bit of review is necessary, but in my case, the reading was the rule books and the game materials, as you pointed out, Mm -hmm. Uh, the speaking and listening is while they're playing the sessions together. And the writing was from the transcriptions and the journals that I had them keep as homework assignments while they were uh, playing the games. So they'd keep an in-character journal if they were a player, and that would try to help them role play more. Mm. And the, the GM would keep like a, a GM notebook, you know, what did you do this session? Uh, how did the players react? What problems did you have? And it was, you know, not in character, but yeah, um, but yeah, so that sort of thing is what they did for the writing.
0: Yeah, just to um to jump in before John, I know Jonathan had his hand up, but just one final thing then is that the language that you're pushing, not pushing, but uh, uh, that's probably not the right word. Yeah, let's just say that, that you're pushing them to use in the class. It's clearly, you've, you've got a, a strong focus on all four skills here. Now, if I was just to give them a TRPG and say play, maybe I'm not focusing on all those four skills. So ped- pedagogically, you had to actually do something in order to get a focus on those four skills, would you say? It, it appears like that from an outside perspective, that you know, the writing is clearly not a skill that they perhaps wouldn't do if they were just to play a TRPG in class, therefore, you as the teacher um, thought, well, how can I get them to write as well, then? And then you had to do something that that seems fair, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Mm. Uh, Jonathan, did you want? Did you have a question? Yeah,
4: sure. Um, I think it's wonderful how you're getting the students to use all four skills. And it seems really aligned to your curriculum. Um, It's impressive. It really is. My, My question is about something that bridges the language and the ludic the idea of the content or the the fantastical nature of the the rpgs that you used like what was your decision process in deciding to use like D &D or like a fantasy setting and not i think and, and not a more realistic setting like something like fiasco or uh like something set in the a dirty world or something set in the in the in the modern age like yeah how did you yeah like you know like oh okay my 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 she orc uh, (laughs) wields the plus one staff of fire breath versus the dragon skin you know like the the content is 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 not what's usually found in a japanese university textbook right so can you can you talk a little bit to that like i'm not i'm not against it i think it's wonderful, but for for another teacher who's who goes, yeah, that's really interesting. There's obviously a lot of language school going on, but I don't know anything about half-elf wizards, you know? Right.
1: Right. Yeah, well, uh, now I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, it was something that I considered when I was choosing the materials. And one of the biggest decisions was simply familiarity, my own familiarity with the game. Um, that's one of the things yeah. I think is really important when... Uh, a teacher is going to bring something into the classroom, you know, they they should know about it themselves. They should have some a, a certain degree of passion about it. Uh, because if they don't, uh, I think that the students will smell that. They'll pick <laughs> up on that. It's like, oh, you know, the, the teacher is not really into this. Like, this is just busy work now or whatever. So I didn't want to risk that by bringing in something that I wasn't my myself passionate about. Um, however, as far as the the modern world goes, City of Mist actually is uh, the, oh, cool. the second game in the uh, that I introduced to them. And for the final project, like if they were going to play their own game and record it, you know, with their friends at uh, from their high school or whatever, uh, they could they could choose City of Mist or D and D, whichever of the genres they were more uh, comfortable with or whichever the rule set they liked more. And yeah. a lot of them did like city of mist i don't I don't recall if they said they liked it because of the genre or simply because the rules were easier or it was the one they played first. They played that before d and d they yeah. got into learning it and then suddenly I said, "Now play d and d it's even more difficult to learn uh, <laughs> so Very that cool. was one of the one of the negative oh, things great. in in the course
4: that's yeah. awesome Peace. Fabio. Yeah, so
3: building up on that, since we're talking about language, right? You mentioned uh, the willing to to communicate and uh, how the uh, affective filters Mm -hmm. is usually like um, made thinner by thinking about creatures or thinking not being yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was wondering if like detaching from reality and going into a fantasy world will actually even help that process. I'm not sure we can answer that question, but I'm just would like to know your thoughts. Being like further from reality, going into a fantasy world, will that help the shyness problem that you actually mentioned, being there in Japan, being as far as possible from reality?
1: What do you think? I personally think so. Uh, I don't know if I have any data to back that up other than anecdotal or what. You know, folks have told me or just the, the number of hours that I've played, you know, tabletop games in where I'm pretending to be someone that I'm not <laughs> for mm. for eight hours straight. Right. Um, and then, yeah, it's it it is interesting. Uh, and it's something that I wrote in the paper, I think, about this kind of um, displacement of who you are. And, and it, it, in a sense, it allows you to kind of take risks. Risk. Yeah um that you wouldn't otherwise take if you were you if you know what i mean um i'm not sure if i'm explaining it well no but absolutely you yeah you it better than i do.
3: no absolutely you know, I'm, I'm getting i'm getting it yes you mentioned it on the paper yeah
0: you did yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah um i mean just personally i feel that way when i when i am role-playing as a character i you know i'll say things as that character that i'd never say as as jake Right,
0: so <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing James York wants to say. <laughs> I digress. Um, the pedagogy of the paper, then, uh, give us your third the the L. We've talked about the the first L, the second L, and now the P. Uh, you mentioned very briefly uh, earlier about the interaction uh, hypothesis. So pedagogically, we also mentioned the scaffolding that you did to to help them write. Um, Anything else that you'd like to mention regarding the pedagogy, the focus of you as the teacher and what you did, your choices that you made, materials, mediation, this kind of thing? Well, uh,
1: as far as the pedagogical aspect, um, I was more active in the beginning when I'm trying to introduce the rules and the concept of the game, Uh, especially that first one with the molecular scenarios. I really wanted them to understand Mm you know what is a GM and what is a GM's job? Uh, a GM's role is not to just kill all the players, right? It's to and and I actually had some students that that were doing that, <laughs> and and you know they they thought it was a competitive game and and the GM was like well no no it's not quite hmm. <laughs> it's not quite like that. So there were a lot of uh, you know teachable moments that came out of observing uh the groups in action in the very early in the very early parts but once they got going and once they started understanding what's what's happening in these games and started getting a feel for it it was very hands off so i really stepped back and didn't want to intrude on them and make them think you know oh well i i can't i can't speak english unless the teacher is there mm. and i don't want them to think that or or i can't uh, I can't play this unless I ask Jake first. Hmm. You know, I try to encourage them to make mistakes and be okay with it. That at the end of the day, if they mess up a rule, it doesn't really matter. The the point of the game is to is to have fun. You you know, you mediate those situations where you're not sure hmm. whether you're in it following the correct rules and you come to a consensus in the group and you move on. And uh some groups dealt with that kind of freedom better than others. You know, it's all gonna you yeah. Vary your mileage will vary. That's but,
0: um, uh, yeah. That yeah. that talks uh, of of your Nanda. That talks of your um, mediation, your involvement during the gameplay, but you're selling yourself short perhaps by not mentioning all of the work you had to do in preparing the course, like how, uh, the, the, before playing stuff that, that all the reflection activities, the, the materials that you create, you made quizzes. There's a lot of stuff that you also did there. Could you perhaps talk a little bit about those?
1: Yeah. So I made, uh, I made a lot of quizzes. Uh, I made, you know, the, the final project guidelines. And of course I, what else did I make uh, the simplified rules for for D and d
0: oh you actually and... you actually did simplify the rules further for the third yes. block interesting okay
1: yes mm. because uh, the, even the rules as are even though you know they produced a player's handbook, which is the 300 page thing and then they had a very simple one about 32 pages, but even that was still you know biblical like style you know two, three columns text, double page. Uh, and it's not, you know, high-frequency vocabulary. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, yeah, it, I simplified it. I think I included it as an appendix, probably. Uh, yeah, a couple of them. Mm. The, the second and the third uh, appendices are, uh, the simplified versions of, of that book that I made. So there was things like that. And yeah, uh, just all of the, all of the gaming that I did just growing up i think that's part of the preparation (laughs) uh doesn't mean you have to do all of that Mm. and you don't have to have played for 10 15 20 years or whatever uh but if you do it helps uh
0: because you really understand what's going on all right i'm going to come back to you for some more um questions regarding the your yeah what was good what was bad maybe We'll, we'll come back to you for those in a moment but um, let's jump to the uh, the reviewers um, who looked at this paper, who are both keen TRPG players. Um, what are your thoughts, starting with Paul then?
2: Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the paper. Again, reading your first one that talked about what it could do, and then reading this one where you talked about what you did was like really cool, kind of inspiring. Um, and to see the way that you managed as I mentioned, I haven't played much D&D. Um, my main interest is in using it in the classroom, right? But trying to like take this big game and simplify it down and use it in the classroom, you just did a really great job of that. And a great job of like, when I first thought about doing this, I was all thinking in this uh, quantitative style test post-test all that sort of stuff and maybe someone much smarter than me could figure out how to do that with with something like a tabletop role-playing game i don't I think really you need like to be that way. smart
0: Paul. you you put yourself down all you do is you make the the gm scenario look at vocab that you think is going to come up get them to play it and see if they remembered it afterwards there's a there's a simple enough study for you
2: okay simple okay But I like the way you took, like, the qualitative approach, I think, was really good. And I think that that's kind of, like, the best way to go about it.
0: Hmm.
2: Even if we said, like, language that they're likely to use, you might, like, the RPGs, they can just go totally off the rails. They can go do some other thing and just never use the target language. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think you did really well with that. Um. Can I ask a question that I'm really interested in, uh, uh, maybe later or something? I'd love to hear you talk more about two things. One is, like, you said you have some pretty shy students. What do you think the impact of having them in one of the rooms and leaving them? How beneficial do you think that was? And the other question I have is, I'd love to hear just hear more about grading, mm. grading the grading part. Right? I thought okay. that was really interesting Go for to it. see the way you use the XP
1: system Yeah, should should I answer those? Go for it. Things? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. All right, sure. So, um first about the shy students and having them kind of in their own little rooms, uh, which was a luxury, I have to say. I mean, not all not all places are going to have like, oh yeah, you can just have these eight rooms just for your class. Like so that was that was definitely nice. Um of course, you could tell students to okay go here's your group the play time is going to happen outside of class you could design it that way um though that is kind of a big ask on students too considering Mm. how long sessions can take but if you do have a situation where you the students are in you know by themselves and they're not really being listened to by anyone else um i think just a smaller group i mean this is true of like just small group work right if you're if you're teaching a class at least in in my university in japan and you ask a question to everyone no one's going to raise their hand but if you have them in a small group of four or five and you give them an activity or a task and then you give them some time and you go around while they're all working and you just talk to that group group of five individually they're much more likely to say something uh, at least in my experience than they are to speak in front of the entire class where they don't necessarily know all their classmates and it's, it's face threatening. So with, with a tabletop game, they're in the same room with crucially the same people every time. So after three, four or five sessions like this, you know, hopefully they don't hate each other, but if, if ideally, they start to get to know each other's, you know, quirks and get to know what each other, you know, what they like. And maybe they even have some side banter about <laughs> not even the game. And, and that's totally fine. That's all a part of the tabletop experience, I think, is that kind of side discourse, the stuff that's happening outside the game. And that, it's my hope, will help those shy students, you know, speak more, at least in that, in that small world that they've created and as for the grading uh so it was an xp based system which was just something i i did after uh i read a few books on gamification it was a carl capp's book i think i know i know gamification is kind of a it's a it's a dangerous word around here (laughs) (laughs) it's fine man but uh no I, i mean it's I wanted to just try to see: um, is this gonna have any effect on students' output? Is it is it gonna be? And if it doesn't, then who cares? It's kind of cool. It's kind of a cool way to instead of saying, "Okay, you got an A," hmm. uh, and, you know, basically a punitive style of mm-hmm. grading, right? <laughs> is how the the typical grading scale works. Is that you start with with a one hundred, and you're slowly getting inched down towards and F, the less stuff you submit, right? But I wanted to think about it more of the like, okay, you're leveling up, you know. You're, uh, you know, every time you do something, you you get some points for it. And I know that's that's very you know behaviorist, and maybe it's not really the the best way to go about motivating people to do things, uh, especially for the long term. But at least for the class, I thought it was kind of fun to kind of uh, you know give them the sense of like accomplishment every time they had done something similar to how their characters are doing in the game Mm -hmm. you know when they when they complete an encounter the the gm gives them some xp they level up they get new abilities so that was that was fun i'm still thinking about what abilities i want to give students in the real world
0: (laughs) whether that's a good ability to speak english
2: (laughs) i really like how the stuff that they did to get the grade wasn't in-game stuff right Mm -hmm. Uh, that seems like
1: key to me. Yeah. Yep. It was all the, uh-huh. the journals uh-huh. and the transcriptions uh-huh. and uh, you know they they could actually know, like, the meet character. with me too. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yep. I, th- I think right I mean ahead. I don't want to I don't want to cool. don't want to put a downer on it, but I think you could perhaps really stifle the learning opportunities if it was that every time you say something in the RPG gameplay session you get a point. It, I think that would just. You, destroy the 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 playfulness of the the actual session itself so yeah just in case anybody was wondering if if jake was gamifying his uh classroom like that he, he certainly wasn't were he yeah okay cool
1: and yeah, that will no, be i didn't,
0: bad, I didn't right? judge you. sorry fabio fabio
3: no no i'm saying that it will kill the uh, authenticity that mm. we're talking about right not authentic language anymore There's just like speak as much as I can to <laughs> so it will have it, it will have killed it yeah okay
1: absolutely
0: fabio tell us about your experience reading jake's paper as a as a, a, a squire uh you know somebody that's amazing at uh, trpgs what what did you think about this innovative approach well you know
3: what this approach like it makes me happy because i love you know our trpg in general i love dungeons and dragon everybody should play dungeons and dragon i truly believe that but the 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 thing that struck me when i was reading the paper is um from a teacher perspective Mm -hmm. from um, somebody who's approaching gblt Mm -hmm. as a researcher practitioner future practitioner and so on is how much we need these kind of papers right how much we need examples, how much we need uh, Walter, how much we need people who try this stuff and tell us like, this was good, this was bad, this is what I did before. Hmm. And this is what I would have done differently. Hmm. So yeah, of course, the, 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 the um, teaching with a, with a tabletop RPG is amazing. And But in order to, to spread the love, we need people papers like Jake's paper, yeah, absolutely, yep. and uh, and this point i would like to ask you to share your experience into testing something like this big and with this much potential like what would you have done differently because i remember reading one advice that i really liked because you played three games but in your paper you mentioned that students were frustrated because they wanted to continue play with the system that they just learned instead Mm. of learning a new system that was was very good and for Mm. somebody as excited as i am you know without reading that paper i might have made the same mistake right But now I'll take that into consideration. So that was great advice. So I'll turn all this excitement into a question. Do you have another (laughs) advice (laughs) or something that you will have done differently if you could go back, redesigning or redoing this experience?
1: Yeah, um, I think there are things that I want to try. I don't know if they will bear fruit, as you never really know until you try. Uh, But one of the things is to, you know, maybe make the, as you said, choose one game, and that's going to be your focus. And then that makes it so that the the medium itself doesn't become a weight. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah. And then more focus and more attention can be paid to things like language acquisition, which should be the focus of the course, right? It shouldn't just be playing games and not, and, you know, if it's an English class, and it, and it was. Uh, so that is is a really good thing that uh, that I I want to try, even though I am excited to try a bunch of different stuff. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit selfish of me to do that, but I do want to have them just do one. Um, another thing is maybe to, before I... Kind of let them go off on their own and do the hands-off approach, like I did this past time, is to give them more guidance in the beginning uh, to try to avoid some of those some of those pitfalls of like, oh, is this a competitive game? Uh, I mean, nothing I said I don't think should have confused students into thinking it was a competitive game, but nevertheless, it it was confused in that way with with at least one group. Um, and maybe even thinking about, uh, just grouping because the groups that I, that I assigned were just completely random, except for the GM volunteers. Uh, and it's possible that some of the students in my class were friends and that they'd been taking the class together. I didn't really check that just got into it started swimming right hmm. uh, but if i'd known like oh those guys are friends and they kind of want to make a group together then it would overcome maybe some of that shyness that some students might have if they're in a, a group suddenly with with strangers with people they don't know
3: so may i, I won't think about like that I think, right? may I say one thing about you know the gm wanted to kill the players Um, I I explained Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder to a couple of hundreds of people, I guess. And, you know, like you, I never said anything that would have, you know, suggested that it was a competition. But the first question most of these hundreds of people I talked to asked asked was how do you win (laughs) or who wins? Who wins? Right. That's a concept that when you see the word game and play, the, everybody has like the, there is a way to win and when you we switch to table t- uh, tabletop RPGs you actually have to take that idea and take it out mm, so even yes. if you didn't say anything to that I think that idea was already there you know mm. you didn't implant it it was already there how do you win nobody wins mm. or everybody wins whatever you like mm. so I don't think you said something that misled them they already had that in their minds mm.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point.
0: All right, Jake, um tell us what you're most uh proud of. What's your what's your highlight of the the whole thing?
1: Well, the the biggest moment for me uh in the course mm-hmm. was just how the class felt like I was at a tabletop convention every time <laughs> I went, <laughs> is twice a week. Um You know, the students would show up with their dice and their character sheets and their folios and they, you know, we'd have the the very short meeting in the beginning and they, they'd go to their rooms and they'd just get into it. Uh, and some of them would have like, you know, they'd be using the monitor inside of the study rooms and setting it up like a map. And some of them would be drawing on the board, keeping track of combat and different statistics. Some of them were playing music. And it's like, I didn't give them any kind of, uh, you know, this is how to be a good DM explanations. Uh, you know, I just let them try try things. And then, yeah, some people just naturally started becoming storytellers and setting the scene. So that was just really beautiful for me to, to see that immersion. Um, as for the project itself, uh, writing the paper, I think it was a really good opportunity to reflect on the course that i taught now five years ago or so wow five and, years ago okay yeah it's been a while and actually to you know get my work out there you know i've been sitting on this stuff for for years and just finally uh you know i had a lot of um uh support from this community to actually just get things a gear and start writing a little bit each day and finally finally getting it done So uh, I have to give a big thanks to all of you guys here for uh, the encouragement and the feedback that I got in the review process. And just the whole thing has been really awesome. So those are my moments. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, thanks.
0: Super cool. Hey, everyone. This is James. And that was the LLP podcast number 13, where we listened to Jake and the reviewers talk about his paper which is using TRPG games in a Japanese EFL context. I realized that we didn't actually record a proper ending during the session. So I'm just doing it now ad hoc. Uh, If you wanna know anything else, anything more about the paper, if you want to read the paper, you'll find a link in the description as well as links to the journal and our social media outlets. So thank you very much for watching and see you next time. Thank you.